You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Tensions are ratcheting up incredibly quickly in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, with many reports of the Ukrainian Defense Ministry, Ukrainian banks, and other entities having been struck by a DDoS attack. Joining me to talk about the cyber threat landscape that this poses and what companies can do to watch out is Ross Rustesi, Managing Director of Cybersecurity at Stoneturn. Hi, Ross. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. So to start off, it seems like tensions are rising by the day. Have we already had known instances of cyber attacks by Russia on Ukraine? And are they the only likely target? Yeah, so we've seen some what I'd call low-level defacement type activity, um, kind of cyber vandalism-esque. About a month ago, we saw uh, several Ukrainian websites be defaced. So somebody took control of them and placed other images and words on them. So anybody who went to them would see that text and content rather than what was supposed to be there. And then more recently, we saw DDoS attacks against uh, Ukrainian banks and some of their government win ministry websites and web servers. Mm-hmm. That was publicly attributed to um, the Russian government, the GRU, which is a military organization. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a fairly low level and relatively public capabilities be rolled out so far. This is nothing compared to what we've seen hit the Ukraine in years past, where they're talking about black energy, where the Russians successfully took down the power grid or not Petio, which ended up being one of the most costly cyber attacks globally a few years back. So what we're seeing is very low compared to what we know the Russians are capable of going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are you seeing that there's uh, like a potential easy chance uh, to, to escalate to those kinds of levels of cyber attacks? Yeah, I mean, it's literally a flip of the switch for these Mm -hmm. operators. The presumption when you're talking about Ukrainian networks has to be that they are almost fully compromised. The Russians are very good at what they do when it comes to cyber espionage and cyber attack. Um, And the Ukrainian defensive efforts, by comparison, are relatively small. Mm -hmm. And so if they choose to flip the switch and go kinetic and make life more difficult for the Ukrainians... They absolutely have the capability to do so. The real question is, do they have the will to do so yet? Um, And that gets into strategic planning and combined operations and this concept of hybrid warfare that they've been using for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I expect that we'll see a ratcheting up of cyber attacks and cyber capabilities being deployed against Ukrainian assets as the more traditional military conflict continues to escalate. Mm-hmm. So what what conditions allow for this scope of, of attacks to happen? Is it because the uh, Russian cybersecurity team is, is so robust? Uh, is it preventable in any certain way by the Ukrainian government? So it's always easier to be the attacker and the aggressor uh-huh. in cyberspace than the There are some overused adages, such as the defender has to be right 100% of the time, the attacker just has to be right once. Um, it's not a small task to successfully defend networks, especially against nation-state level resources, and especially at the scale and size that Russia has devoted to their offensive capacity. So there is already a very unlevel playing field. And then you bring in the fact that 
a lot of Ukrainian assets have some Russian origins to them. They have been similar trained going back to the Soviet era. There's a lot of ties and infrastructure connections there that just make it easier for the Russians to operate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you throw in the fact that Ukrainian military doesn't have a lot of cybersecurity background or training compared to the Russians or even um, NATO and other European countries. And that's why we've seen over the last several years a real attempt by NATO to try to bolster the cyber defenses. But it's a very steep hill to climb. And given the levels of penetration that predated those defensive initiatives, mm-hmm. we're unlikely to see them mounting a very successful defense on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems like there there have been many new initiatives to ramp up security tooling uh, at organizations, uh, and especially you know with the executive order that happened late last year. But is this really proving to be enough for organizations to secure themselves from from these kinds of attacks? So it really depends on a lot of different factors, uh-huh. and a lot of that also has to do with the will of the adversary. There is a lot that corporations and the public sector can do to greatly reduce their overall risk, cut down on the easy wins for an aggressor. But when you're talking about highly sophisticated actors going after key sectors of the economy, so for example, transportation is always a key sector when you're talking about actual war fighting, where you expect to see a lot of cyber effects take place, because if you can stop men and munitions and aircraft and other capabilities from getting to where they need to go to successfully operate, you essentially delay the conflict or delay action, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a sector which is constantly being penetrated, constantly the most sophisticated tools are being thrown against it. And conversely, it's also one of the core funded from a cybersecurity perspective Mm-hmm. because it's a low margin industry and they have a lot of large capital expenses. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this disparity between how much you can spend on defense and how valuable of an asset you actually are. When you move up echelon, so to speak, to the financial sector, for example, they have a lot more money to spend on cybersecurity, which makes it a lot harder to go after them. And so there's always this balancing act between where the aggressors are most likely to strike and how much resourcing is available to actually prevent and really reduce harm should there be a successful breach of part of an network. Uh, and what is the attack surface that is often targeted that uh, ultimately allows bad actors to get in? So the biggest attack surface is still the human operator. At the end of the day, it is far easier to convince a human to click a link to download a malicious file than it is to break through a perimeter firewall or go after the systems itself. Now, those still exist. You hear about zero-day exploits. You hear about supply chain compromises that are very much baked into the underlying software and operating system. But the majority of cyber activity starts with a user making a mistake. And that's just because it's human nature to trust, it's easy to do, and at the end of the day, the threat actors and the operators out there are trying to be successful. They don't necessarily care how they're successful. And so until human behavior changes, you're not going to see a very large change in how they're at least getting into the networks to start. So what is the first line of defense, uh, would you say, that organizations could now try to use to defend against such attacks? The first line of defense is always user training and awareness. 
mm-hmm. the fewer people that click on the spear phishing emails, the fewer people that interact with malicious software, the better your organization is going to be. And the more robust the rest of your defenses are going to be because they're not dealing with the same level of volume. Mm-hmm. Once you move beyond that and assuming that somebody in your organization is going to click something, the buzzword these days is zero trust, but that really goes back to security fundamentals. It's making sure that you have properly segmented networks. So somebody who lands on my machine can't exploit my entire companies because I have unlimited access across the board. It's making sure that you have proper segmentation in terms of security architecture. So if you have very specific data or very um, valuable information, there are some additional security controls and checks to prevent my end user from going and accessing that without any type of monitoring or prevention. And so it's about building smart defense in depth, allowing you to survive the compromise of an end user laptop or a small portion of your network. Because at the end of the day, defenders are doing battle in the network that they own. They can't control the internet. The internet is the adversary space. And so the more you can contain inside your own network and the more you can identify quickly, prevent dwell time and reduce the adversary's ability to operate, the better you're going to be. It's not about preventing all intrusions. It's about reducing harm when a small portion of your network gets hit. I see. All right. Well, thank you so much for your insight. Is there anything else that you feel is important to add to the potential threat that exists now or about any large takeaways involving cybersecurity for our listeners? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is while the world kind of watches what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now, we're likely to see Russia try to keep this localized and try to keep the justification for NATO activating out of it. And so unlike with NotPetya, which ended up being a very global incident, I think we're going to see better command and control over their cyber resources to try to at least initially focus on Ukraine. We're probably not going to see them lash out with cyber capabilities against the United States or European allies as a result of these sanctions, at least not initially, because Putin is playing against a script and he's trying to minimize the overall impact that that script has against the EU and the United States, allowing justification for broader harm against Russia. Um, and so while this is a very tense situation, we need to remember that there are a lot of other cyber adversaries out there and hyper-focusing on what Russia may or may not do can leave you exposed to some of the other operators that might be more likely to go against your network. All right. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today's show. And I want to thank you again, Ross, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Great. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Dev. 